This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome into B-Town's continuing coverage of the impact of COVID-19 here in Rhode Island. I'm Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, part two of our look at distance learning in the state with the head of the Providence Teachers Union, Mary Beth Calabro. Mary Beth Calabro, a voice familiar to um, many a Rhode Island politico, many a Providence person, someone who appears on WPRO quite often. And this is actually the first time we've had a chance to, to speak, so I appreciate it a lot. It is. It is. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, all right. So what in, in a nutshell, I guess, how has the distance learning program gone for Providence Public Schools? What are you hearing from your members and by and large from even students, parents, administrators? Um, so this is a heavy lift. Um it's a lot. It's a it's a heavy lift for everybody, and um, I think that teachers um, did an outstanding job getting their work ready and getting um, Google Classroom up and learning new ways to um, instruct virtually. You know, this is new for all of us. Um, we're not used to distance learning, virtual learning, however, you know, whatever we want to call it. Sure. Um, and so what we have to be mindful of, all of us have to be mindful of, is that not only are we doing distance learning, but that we are in the middle of a pandemic. And so our kids, their families our teachers and their families are all struggling with the same issues. Um, and then they have their own issues. So we have the issue of the pandemic and how scary and frustrating and how um, confining this, this pandemic is. And then we have equity and access issues within our city right. in terms of, um, you know, our students who don't, all have access to, um, uh, you know, Wi-Fi. They don't have the same access. They don't have, you know, 4G, 5G. They don't have um, the same bandwidth. Um, they have four and five siblings or two or three siblings on. Mom and dad are on. Um, it, it's a lot. It, there's a lot going on. Mom and dad are, are not employed right now because they're in a service industry. There's a lot of stress in the house. So what we have to do, and it's important, you know, that, that we maintain the learning. It, it is important that we maintain learning. And, and like the governor said, you know, some learning is better than no learning at all. But we also have to be thoughtful about um, self-care and so for teachers for students for parents everybody needs to just take a breath and think about how we need to support each other and um keep in mind that we're not in the brick and mortar right it's not a typical day in school and so we're not in classrooms where we have all our materials and we're not in classrooms where um, the students are getting to see their friends and getting to see and, and interact um, with their teachers yes we're interacting you know via um, 
Zoom and, you know, and Google uh, Hangout and things like that. But there's not the human connection that we typically have in schools. And those are all factors that need to be considered while we're doing this distance learning. Um, It's, it's, you know, like I said, um, I, I, you know, I said before, we're doing a good job and, and we're doing the best that we can. Um, But it's messy. It's not, it's not clean. It's not the, you know, it's not pristine, but it's the best that we can do. And at the end of the day, if, if we're talking to our kids and we're meeting our kids and we're supporting our kids and, and they're learning something, that's great. Um, but there's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on everyone. And um, there needs to be an acknowledgement of that pressure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm afraid that um, the amount of pressure is not sustainable. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to, I think, frame it is, all right, we're in this moment here. There's an adrenaline rush of sorts where we're early in the process, you know, that people are looking for a silver lining even. And I know some, some Providence teachers, one in particular, who said, look, I don't know how many of my kids necessarily even have earbuds at home, you know what I mean, in some cases. So there's some prac- there's so much of a practical, um, just on the ground disconnect, it seems, at times between the realities of what can get done um, you know, there's a lot of judgment from outside of Providence all the, you know, on the school and whatnot. Obviously, that's some fodder, almost nonsensical at this point. Um, look, there's serious challenges, but a lot of the fodder has become almost a talking point that doesn't necessarily even you know, do anything to help resolve the situation. But no. we're, you know, we hear different things from, you know, okay, we're going to try to get through May 15th. We're going to try to get through the rest of the school year. Then there's some are saying, hey, look, this might be a new way to actually do certain, you know, maybe high school education at a certain level going forward, even after this pandemic. What do you feel? How do you feel about that? Do you feel like Providence is equipped for long-term distance learning? I, um, unless we get the equity and access piece, um, no, I don't. I don't. We have students, we have a wide variety of students, like, like everybody else does, but we have more, um, you know, in a, a more um, targeted group of students that have special needs and we have more students that are multi-language learners and we have more students that have just come to this country with um you know, with English is not their language at all right now. And so we have a lot of different layers of of instruction um, and and need that we're trying to address, but I don't believe that we're addressing it at the level that we do when they're in the schools. So in terms of this being like something that we could supplant, the current educational system with, I don't believe that we, we could possibly do that and yeah. service the, those special populations at all. Um, I also think that there is a lot to be said for the relationships that have been built. I have, you know, elementary school teachers, middle school teachers and high school teachers telling me that I had, I was on a, a zoom in a classroom yesterday and, and the kids were like, miss, I never thought I'd say this, but I really want to come back to school. I miss the teachers. <laughs> I miss right. kids. I miss my friends. I even miss the kids I don't like. Like, 
you know, th- th- there's a, a lot to be said for those relationships and, and interactions, um, personal interactions. And, and um, that's a huge piece of what's missing with this, this distance learning. And so I think it's sufficient for the time being. And I think that teachers across the state, um, but I can speak from my, you know, I think the teachers across the state are doing a fantastic job. But in terms of my teachers, my teachers have done an incredible job. They are working from 8 to 3.30 they have off from 11 to 1, and most of them are taking professional development from 11 to 1 to increase their skills at, at online or distance learning. Um, and they're on Zoom, and they're, and they're interacting with their kids the majority of that time. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. I am literally in bed. I I'm a night owl. I can stay up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. I answer emails at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm in bed at eight o'clock. Yeah. And I'm asleep by probably 8.15. Wow. So this is probably one of the most difficult things that my teachers have ever had to do. And um, and they're upset and they're sad and they're stressed and they're frustrated because they can't reach out to the kid and they can't support in the ways that we do when we're when we're face to face and you know there's there's things that happen in a classroom between a teacher and a student where um you can see body language and you can see facial expressions that you can't necessarily see in a computer um that show frustration anxiety stress fear um and so these are the things that my teachers worry about when, when we, you know, when we end today and they have, you know, two days off, are they going to be fed are, are not all of them, but some of them won't have food. Some of them will be in very stressful, traumatic situations. These are things that keep teachers up at night. Um, those are all things that we're mindful of constantly during the day, but there's no avenue or vehicle with this interaction on the computer for kids to take us aside and say, Oh miss, this is happening. Oh miss. I need, you know, I need this for my house or, or can you get me a, a notebook or, you know, can I borrow $5? I need whatever. That's not happening. And so yeah. there are huge gaps in what we're allowed to do through distance learning. And um, so, yes, it's a stopgap and it's, it's working in that we're able to interact with our kids every day and, and that some learning is going on and that's great. Um, But do I see it as supplanting what we do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You've been consistently a strong advocate for your members for, I think broadly, you know, for, for the kids, for your system, for your school district. And Mm -hmm. Um, again, coming out of a situation where before we hit this coronavirus scenario, the Providence Public Schools, that's one of the top stories of modern Rhode Island, really identifying, finally, people broadly identifying the problems outside of Providence and starting to recognize, acknowledge, and and hopefully shift direction in how we work towards equity. 
Do you feel that right now, by and large, other districts are aware of the specific challenges that you face with distance learning and they take that into account when they advocate for or celebrate how things are going right now with distance learning in the state? I think that there's definitely an acknowledgement by the governor and, and by the commissioner um, uh, of the challenges that we faced and how hard that our teachers have worked. I do believe that um, the, the governor herself has acknowledged in her um, press conferences the work that some of our teachers have done, or all of our teachers in, in general, but specific, she has specifically called out some of the work that our teachers have done. And that's appreciated, believe me, after, you know, after several months of, of hearing how bad things are. Um, and I think that this is a way for um, my teachers to show that um, it isn't, you know, hellfire and brimstone here, that it, there are things at working. And we showed w- within a week, and, in, in, you know, a, it was supposed to be, you know, an, a vacation week, that teachers literally built a distance learning platform and learned how to give instruction, provide instruction on a distance learning platform during a vacation and was able to turn it around um, in that short a period of time and boots on the ground on that Monday morning. So that if that doesn't show commitment to the greater, to Providence itself and, and to the greater Rhode Island, I don't know what does. Right. I don't know what else we could possibly do to prove um, our commitment to our students. I agree. It's it's definitely you wonder if the narrative can change going forward after this. You know where I hope it does. It should. I really I mean, hope it, it does. It should have before. I think it was a lazy narrative. Um, you know, by most people. You know, I I live in Elmwood. You know, so oftentimes mm-hmm. I, I drive by a lot of the public schools, and you know, you just see those interactions, those magical moments that are outside of the school. Maybe it's a crossing guard. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's two kids. I refereed soccer. Maybe it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hope soccer team that, you know, is entering the field and having a conversation with an assistant coach, you know, so the judgment, the idea that there's this massive, like you say, hellfire and brimstone, a nightmare situation on the ground in Providence is, was wrong. Number one, it's also sad and lazy. And it's kind of an easy way for people outside of the city to say, well, we're in our silo over here. Thank goodness we've got everything together. Glad we're not up there in that situation. Right. Now, well, it's a city state here, Rhode Island. It's so small. Hopefully, people mm-hmm. will be able to say, wow, everyone stepped up during this crisis. Maybe we can hit the reset button, start actually working on the problems that do exist. One of them, obviously, is the physical infrastructure of the schools. I know they're doing some work right now. Um, what are you looking for, I guess, after this is all said and done on your end and from, from the teacher's perspective, from the state, from the population of Rhode Island writ large, I suppose, what are you looking for? Um, I, I think this is an opportunity, right? So in, in every challenge, there should be an opportunity. And this is an opportunity to do just that, to hit the reset button and to say, this was a huge challenge. This is unprecedented, historical um, you know, never done before, and look what these teachers did. And so let's take this positive, this work that they've done, and see that as a way and a direction forward so that we can work together. Obviously, we're willing to work together. We're willing to move forward. So let's work collaboratively with the state, 
and with the district, obviously with the district, but the district is run by the state. So with the state and come up with solutions that can move our entire district, all of our students, regardless of where they are, where they come from, move them forward with rigorous, diverse, rich curriculum, engage parents and students, let them have a say in what's going on in our schools. Let's get this job done. Like this, this has to be the start of something new. It has to be. We can't go backwards from this. We can't go back to the narrative of, you know, with the worst of the worst. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Just let it go. Let's let that narrative go as a state. You know what I mean? Let's, let's drop that. The state intervention has occurred. Commissioner Infante Green's, you know, there it's happening. Mm -hmm. We're into it. We hit this crisis. Let's move forward from here and, and again, right. hit that reset button. I, I completely agree. It's a waste reset of time. Button. We showed you what we could do. Let's, let's capitalize on it. Last question, just in general in Providence right now. They closed the parks yesterday. Um, Mayor Lorsa did. I went down to Roger Williams around 2.30, 3 o'clock. There's still plenty of people there. There was no enforcement of it. So it's unclear whether or not people who live in walking distance can still access it. That's got to be a concern for you, for, for kids, just being able to get out, get vitamin D, get exercise. I mean, mm-hmm. not necessarily saying they should be playing, you know, pick up basketball right now or anything no. like that, but there's got to be some outlet. Or what, do you, what do you see as a solution to that right now? It's so hard because, it, it, like, right, you know, the day before yesterday when it was really, really nice out, I was like, hey, kids, open your windows, you know, go take a walk outside and... And then, you know, everybody on, on Facebook and Twitter was like, oh, there are people playing pickup basketball and soccer games. And I thought to myself, hmm, did I do that? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, right. I'll, get, I'll probably get blamed for it. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a fine line, right? Our kids don't understand. They're kids. They don't understand the global, like, ramifications. They don't understand the big 30,000-foot view of why we're asking folks to stay six feet apart. Hell, adults don't. You know, I just drove by a market and and it's packed with people and people coming in and out. Nobody's got masks on. They don't even have gloves. Like, if, if we can't explain that to adults and adults don't rationalize that, how, how are we going to explain that to a six, seven, eight-year-old? Come on. Exactly. You know, they want to go out and play with their friends. They want to, they want to, you know, play soccer, push off each other. That's what they want to do because they're kids. If we can't get adults, hopefully, you know, clear thinking adults to, to figure this out, then, you know, we can't expect our kids to think about that. that that's the quote of this whole thing right there. I honestly, because I've, I've seen the same thing in the grocery store. I went a couple of days ago. I had mask and gloves. I even wore a poncho. Um, yeah. Part of the reason is because I was on antibiotics before, so I have a lowered immune system, mm-hmm. theory, whatever. And I felt like I was back in you know sixth grade in gym class when you know when 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 someone threw a dodgeball on my face because I was wearing pink or whatever. It's you know yeah. people by and large weren't in masks. We're talking adults here, so I think the narrative definitely has to shift away from wow those kids are they're playing basketball. I mean that is tertiary compared to full-blown, full-grown adults who are blown this right. off. And I think there's a five-to-one ratio from my perspective of people who are taking it seriously to people who aren't. So I'm with you. I'm right. not going right. to mention anything more about 
kids gathering, et cetera, or accept that until we see a full um, adjustment of behavior by adults, at least here. This is an adult issue. Adults need to take control of the issue. And if they're not going to be responsible, personally responsible and ethically responsible for their own behaviors, then how can we expect and hold kids to a higher level that then we're holding our own adults to? It's ridiculous. So true. Mary Beth Calabro, ladies and gentlemen, the, uh, the head of the Providence Teachers Union and our first conversation. I hope we can do this on the radio and on, on the podcast. This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast.